1: Welcome to episode 69 of Comic Book Nation, the official podcast of comicbook.com. I am your host, Kofi Outlaw, and with me for this 69th event is my co-host, Matthew Aguilar. What up? And our original Comic Book Nation Trinity member. Brandon Davis is back on the couch, and he's all smiles today. Episode 69, nice. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. 69 episodes. It feels like 69, plus another 100, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Wow. Today, we are going to be talking about quite a lot of exciting things. There are some big shakeups in the Star Wars universe I think we probably should address. We are also going to be talking about what's going on in the Marvel TV universe. Some bad things happen there as well. And we will be diving deep into the latest chapter of Jonathan Hickman's X-Men Reinvention, Powers of X number 5, and reviewing... The most anticipated new series of the season so far, of the TV season so far, Stump Town, starring uh, Maria Hill herself, Kobe Smulders. That's uh, the most anticipated series of the season? Yeah, I mean, it was probably like one of the best newly reviewed shows that we've had, and uh, a lot of places were calling it the best new show I mean, of the
2: it's season, good. We'll talk. Including comicbook.com. So. I just didn't know there was that much hype for this show.
1: Yeah, I know. Uh, well, if you read comicbook.com, we have all this stuff on there, but you got to read comicbook.com. Boys. Never heard of it. Anyway, Same moving deal. right along. First things first, I thought we'd jump into the Star Wars universe because uh, we got a big piece of news last night, which is that Marvel's guru, the man who made the Marvel Cinem- Cinematic Universe happen, Mr. Kevin Feige, is going to be making the move over to the Star Wars universe which is really not that big of a move. It's all under Disney's house. But uh, this was a big deal, and we and he's going to be overseeing a Star Wars movie, which I don't think anybody saw coming. Anybody here
2: see that coming? Uh, I thought everybody saw that coming.
1: I didn't.
3: But mostly because, like, he's
2: busy. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, like, on the Internet for the past few years, everybody's been like, when's Kevin Feige going to do Star Wars? And even though he said no, people were still like, well, when's Kevin Feige going to do Star Wars? Oh, yeah. I never... Uh... I never thought it was like... I mean, the internet says a lot of things. Yeah,
3: that's the internet wants a lot of things. The internet says a lot of things. Patton like, Oswalt
1: has said he wanted a lot of things. But, like, yeah, there's a difference between, like, the internet saying something and then something actually happening. And this is something that has now actually happened. It's been announced. And uh, Kevin Feige is going to develop a Star Wars movie. We don't know what it is. We know we're getting a new era of Star Wars coming up after The Rise of Skywalker finishes out the sequel trilogy this fall. But... Then the door is kind of wide open. We know uh, Ryan Johnson's been working on a new trilogy. We know the Game of Thrones showrunners are working on a new trilogy, and that will be the first new thing that we visit after this Skywalker, Rise of Skywalker sequel trilogy kind of ends. So it'll be interesting to see that uh, kind of where Kevin Feige ends up and what kind of role he begins to play at Lucasfilm. Because you got to imagine this isn't just... I mean, what we hear is that he's developing a Star Wars film, but you got to imagine, like, it doesn't end there, right? Like, at this point, you think Disney is looking at Kevin Feige as a much bigger type of executive and kind of shepherding some of these brands. And it, it seems just a little serendipitous that, you know, after Star Wars has had these kind of problems early on in its Disney launch, and you have, like, CEO Bob Iger kind of pulling back and saying, hey, you know, we made some mistakes early on, but we've learned we're cleaning this all up and like, we're going to be doing things differently going forward. Like I said, it seems kind of serendipitous to have all of a sudden the announcement that, Oh, we're putting Kevin Feige in this franchise, but he's just doing this one movie, right? It seems like this would probably grow into a bigger role within Lucasfilm slash Disney for Feige to basically be the guy who can really string these properties together and make them into cinematic juggernauts. That's just my speculation. But uh, it seems to fit with what we're seeing here. How about you guys? I mean, I think it... Yes, do I think that could happen? Sure,
3: I'm not ready to, like, jump the light speed ahead and go, like, yeah, he's. I've seen he's overseeing... Like, he's overseeing Star Wars, and is he going to leave Marvel and, like, all this other stuff? I'm like, well, just pump the brakes. Like, let's... We don't even know what developing a movie means as far as, like, how involved he is, what his role in that. It could be a lot of things. So I'm, like... Could that happen? Yes, absolutely, it could. But do I see Marvel? You know, yes, I know they're all under the same umbrella, but you know, Marvel still kind of has a vested interest in putting Marvel first before other things underneath the Disney umbrella. I don't necessarily see them going. Yeah, sure, let's loan him out
2: to Star Wars and let that become a priority. I think at the very least he becomes a producer on a lot of movies going forward. I I don't think it's a one-time thing. I mean, but in but not in like a heavily involved role. He'll probably just be like a consultant giving notes and giving ideas. I mean, he did that with the Amazing Spider-Man franchise back when Andrew Garfield was Spider-Man. He knows the the Star Wars stuff. He's a big fan. That's why I think he does Marvel so well, because he's a big fan. So I think that they're just going to pull from his brain a little bit, and that doesn't hurt anybody. Kathleen Kennedy, according to a top source at Disney, Uh, in the first report is still in charge, and I don't think that's gonna change I don't think you dethrone Kathleen Kennedy for Kevin Feige because he can't do both. He didn't have time for spider-man Yeah, how right? can he oversee the two biggest franchises in the world, but I do agree with you Although I think, I think he had time for spider-man if I think you've that was got this resource. Why not yeah,
3: use, use it? Yeah, I well, totally get this
1: that. one was also a passion project He had an idea that he was very passionate about he pitched to them and they were like yeah so yeah. this is a passion project we always say these things, but uh, we always talk about this creative space without the financial realities to go with it, which is if Kevin Feige produces a Star Wars movie that has a much bigger, better reception than most Star Wars movies that have come along mm-hmm. before that, you know, then
2: the dump trucks of money come out, mm-hmm. and then things change. So like, where do you gauge that? Uh, I'm just curious, because I'm in the camp of I really enjoyed The Force Awakens. I didn't enjoy anything else that came out except the blast scene of Rogue One. So, but then there's other people who aren't like me who loved all of it except for maybe Solo. That's the most common camp I see. Um, <laughs> sure. And Richard is in the Richard control in room. The booth <laughs> it's he all good. All of but so, where do you gauge that? Does it have to? What level of success does Feige's movie have to have, either critically or financially, or both, for you to say, well, maybe we I
1: mean, should use it for everything? The billion dollars is always now the mark. Um, I think it's the billion dollars plus less divisive splits between fans um a star wars movie that can there is no i don't believe in a star wars movie that will unify everybody but i do think you can score one that will bring fans together in opinion more so than what we got necessarily with a sequel trilogy or in disney's first phase of rollouts with rogue one solo Mm -hmm. and the sequel trilogy so i mean i think that's highly possible in making things that are kind of universally crowd-pleasing is Kevin Feige's specialty. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the success that you would need to see happen there uh, before the dump trucks of money inevitably come out. But, all right, sounds like... Maybe he'll like, get another
2: one up to $2 billion.
1: I mean, I mean, that's a good thing, but that has to be a one hell of a Star Wars event film. You know? Oh, sure. No, I know. I agree. So, we'll leave it there because this is still taking shape until we know more about, like, what Kevin Feige's planning yeah. and what Star Wars films are coming down the pike. Uh, we'll have more to say on that. Uh, I don't think we have to worry about him leaving the MCU anytime soon. I think Matt is right about that. Let's not jump the gun. Uh, In other Star Wars news, while we're still here, um, it's funny that Kevin Feige is coming in (laughs) as uh, the beef has been unleashed. This was spicy. Yeah, there's beef (laughs) in the Star Wars universe between the old and the new masters. So, George Lucas and Bob Iger kind of had a little war of words earlier this week or over the weekend. I forget where we are right now. So, don't ask me about time or space. But they had a war of words where George Lucas basically came out, crapped on the Force Awakens, and Bob Iger shot back and clapped back with, uh, Honey's just too bitter because we didn't use any of his ideas for this. And, uh, yeah. That's (laughs) disrespect. Yeah. And it's funny to see because... I remember when Disney purchased Lucasfilm, like, you know, years back, and during that whole transition, there was this very kind of, like, sugary veneer of everybody, and especially Disney side, like, praising George Lucas and his vision and everybody, while Lucas was trying to make sure he got his billions by saying... Disney, it's good in good hands. Like I'm so excited to see where the franchise goes from here, yeah. and to excited to watch it as a fan. And now here we are. But it makes sense why at the time he did that.
3: Yeah. One because how how, how much was
1: some stupid amount of money? Yeah, stupid amount of billions that he was trying yeah. to get in his pocket. But
3: it also makes sense because you know when you read the Iger quote in the memoir, right, that he wrote about that at the time they. Lucas was under the mistaken impression that they would use his story. Yeah. Like just all out authentic. For just background
1: for Star Wars light people, like Lucas always had a nine film vision for Star Wars. So he had a saga already planned out. He started in the middle, but he knew the prequels early on, and he knew the sequels, if only in like story sketch form. So he always had this plan. Suffice to say, Disney has diverted from that plan. And they bought those plans.
3: Yeah. Right.
2: Release the Lucas cut. They, because, like, they bought
3: the three scripts. Yeah. And then we're like... But then Iger makes a very clear point numerous times in the thing of, like... You know, yes, he says, like, maybe we could have, like, handled the meetings themselves better. But he says numerous times in there that, like, we always told him, like, look, we, we might take ideas. But we are not... This is not a promise to make these movies. And then the meeting where they pitched it, not even pitched it because they don't have to pitch it to him, but the meetings that they were like, here's what we're doing with J.J. in the room, and then he was evidently felt betrayed and mad after that is surreal. Like that's, That whole thing is crazy, but you know. I mean, I mean
1: it's George Lucas, it's, and it's the classic mistake of somebody giving up their creative baby uh, to a big corporate overlord and thinking it's all going to work out. And and be wholesome for them, and only to find out corporate corporate masters might have some different ideas. I and mean,
2: he could wipe the tears away with the billions of dollars. I don't really fair, feel bad. Yeah, I mean, and to be fair, it was <laughs> yeah, also he got after like, his he gets like, of speaking of somebody movies. who's been
1: down this path and didn't get the billions, yeah, <laughs> you're okay. You got the money. So, and it was after he had already
3: executed his vision <laughs> unedited in yeah. the prequels, yep. and we saw how those were. Received. There was a mixed yeah. reaction, you know. But so, they had
2: cool lightsaber fights. They
3: had cool like, like he even talks about some of the ideas that like he had for these, and you can look at it and go, "I'm kind of glad they didn't do that." Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> like, so kind of glad they. But did. it was just funny. It's funny to see you know people who were trade like just sleeping on billions of Star Wars money, getting into these like little caddy fights. Yeah. You didn't use my idea. F your idea. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Like. I feel like the whole country's just becoming, like, one big talk show. Like, we're all becoming the Maury show. It's great. But, uh, I mean, in the end, who cares what George Lucas thinks? Where this train has left the station, like, we're well past the George Lucas years. I'm sure you can make a bunch of fan videos saying if George had made the sequel trilogy. uh, And those will keep you entertained for a while. So, uh, keep you busy with that while we move on. Finally, last but not least, yeah. we got a new Star Wars attraction coming to uh, the Star Wars Galaxy Edge area Ooh. of the Disney theme parks. It's called Rise of the Resistance. We don't know much about it yet. They just announced it today. But uh, basically, it looks like you will be kind of a walkthrough. They say it's like a 3D or 360 immersive total experience of putting you in the position of a resistance fighter, helping to fight the First Order. Um, and it looks like one of those kind of like crazy rides, almost like the Back to the Future ride it used yeah. to be at Universal Studios or something. But that's just my early impression from the video that's on Good Morning America, and which you can find on comicbook.com Star Wars. Uh, but yeah, so Galaxy's Edge continues to expand. And uh, before you know it, by 2023 or so, Disney's going to look a lot like Star Wars and Marvel all over the place, um, which is going to be fun for me. I'll be going back to those parks. Then. I was going to
3: say, I have yet to make it to like you know galaxy's edge or and see a lot of the new stuff that has appeared over the last year two years so like i'm excited because like by the time i get there this place will look awesome
1: yeah i mean by the time i get there my kids will be like piping galaxy's edge is so cool age ah, can't wait
2: it is so cool you walk in and like you're in star wars yeah man it it looks really i mean it's not like much to do i like how they're fitting
1: in this resistance thing to the area that they built and how they're kind of putting the attractions into that world that they've built and it's really cool So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to going there, Uh, taking my kids, you know, losing a good amount of paychecks on that vacation. So, all right, moving right along to the uh, sort of Marvel Universe, we'll call it, the quasi-Marvel Universe. Uh, Sony has announced a new Spider-Man spinoff movie. And if you were hoping for, like, (laughs) Venom, another kind of, like, Venom spinoff or Black Cat or Silver Sable or even Cardiac... Well, you're SOL in this case, because you're getting none of those. <laughs> and instead, we're getting the movie we all knew was coming down the pike, Madam Web! Hey! Yeah.
3: Hey-ho. Madam,
1: yeah, Madam, Madam Web, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, talk about random things Sony is pulling out.
2: I just feel like Sony's at the point where Warner Brothers was, like, four years ago, like at Comic-Con, when they flashed oh, when every logo, stuff, yeah. and every movie was in development, and everybody had, it, like... But I don't think so, because I think Sony's actually going to make these
1: movies... I don't no, know I, I think more. I mean, Morbius is already. I mean, what do you mean you don't know? Like, what don't sure, you know? Sure, Morbius. Is Venom but two not getting made. Where's
2: Where's Black Cat and Silver Sable?
1: Yeah, Black Cat and Silver Sable. That was part of the Amazing Spider-Man like era. Yeah, that was no, so, like of- a
2: year ago. They there was a report that they were developing that movie. There was a ca- it was a yeah. carryover, and then that was and the, the one that
3: made it through. That was actually the one I was looking. And it's to not the most,
1: completely but... gone. Silver and yeah. black. That's not completely
2: black. gone yet. Did You no. really like that premise? Yeah, I, I do. Feel
1: that's one title. Yeah.
2: It's not That's a just the one that it. came to mind. I'm pretty sure they've they've said there's more plans that I just I don't know if I'm going to see all of them. Narrator: They did not.
1: But <laughs> the point is, this is Madame Web. Who is Madame Web? Well, Madam Web is several people in the Marvel universe, uh, and I think it's important to note like what we could get here. One of them is the old lady Cassandra Webb, who is an old lady who has a neuromuscular disease that basically kind of Stephen it's her, and she has to be in a life support system that looks like a giant web, because that's convenient for everybody medically. Um, But she has (laughs) these intense psychic powers. She is telepathic. She has clairvoyance, and she has precognition. So basically she can read minds, see situations far away from her, and see into the future. I.e., she is the best plot device ever for a comic.
3: That's why she's always in the middle of every event. Yeah.
1: She's the (laughs) seer, basically. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to imagine, like when I was writing this up, it's hard to imagine a movie being constructed over an old woman who can see things. Uh you know, you'd have to add to that. So what do you add to that? Well, there is one storyline with Madame Webb that seems the most rich for a movie, which is that uh Je- or what's her name? Julia Carpenter, uh, the second Spider Woman. After a certain event, Madame Web is killed, the old one, and she passes her powers on to Julia Carpenter, who kind of sheds her Spider Woman and Arcane guises of the superhero and becomes the new Madame Web. Yeah. Now that is something I could see as a spinoff, um, about somebody who is an old, experienced mystic, has to gets taken out, has to pass her powers on. To this younger, completely inexperienced person who has to try to deal with the sudden knowledge that comes with these powers. Like, that is a premise for a movie. Uh, the thing that's weird about this, besides the, the kind of obscurity of Madame <laughs> Webb, is that in doing this, like, Sony is essentially taking the step to kind of put its own Spider Man universe on its own feet, yeah. but they're risky, risky feet. Because Madame Webb plugs into this whole. Mythos of Spider-Man that's been created like mostly and really kind of delved into over the last 10 years or so about The great web that exists between realities the spider deity that created the fact that every spider-man In in spider themed character is like an avatar for this deity and stuff like once you get into all of that like you are I mean you're making a spider-man universe but as I said in the article, this sounds like something that would be much better suited for the Spider-Verse animated universe yes. than a live because action
3: Because that's how,
1: that's, I mean,
3: Spider-Verse did a very good job of cutting all that out and going, here's this, here's this interlinked. Universe, here's your Spider-Verse. Yeah. But in the
2: comics. And it made it like acceptable for a movie going audience, yeah. which yeah. you think is very smart based on previous conversations we've had on the podcast. Yeah, because but it's I just they think, cut out a a No, I mean you think the movie going audience is very smart. I do
3: think they are. <laughs> I don't think the comics do a very good job no, com- at times it's, it's with that well. well, rug. Right, it's
2: convoluted yeah, as hell. Yeah, like, by this point, there, it's tremendous. I don't expect Spider-Verse did a great job of making it all yeah, I don't understandable expect in one. Yeah. In one movie.
3: Because I'm not blaming a reader for not understanding a convoluted history of crap. Like (laughs) the spider, like there are parts of that I love, like Ezekiel and and some of the totem stuff and Moreland. Like, there's some really interesting concepts in that web, no pun intended, (laughs) of stories, but it's a mess. I mean, it's when especially when you get the other involved, and like you, you throw a bunch of stuff in, I'm not expecting any comic or movie fan to understand that. I thought Spider-Verse went, okay, here's the cool part about that. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to leave all this other stuff. We're just not going to acknowledge yeah. that
1: happened. It's just the multiverse. They're yeah. spider man They're connected because they're the same person in different yeah. realities. The done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's it. Done. So like a Madam Web movie in the in the Spider-Verse animated like universe, I would be like, yeah, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. Like that's a person who has access and can see a bunch of stuff to a larger Spider-Verse. Pulling this off in live action is going to be... Uh, interesting to say the least and now i will give bd i will throw you to this if there is one movie in sony's lineup i would predict to possibly not make it this would be that movie
2: well narrator chiming back in from earlier based on facts <laughs> um according to your friends at screen rant um movies sony oh, God. movies sony promised but i don't expect to see the sinister six night watch black cat silk Venom two, that one's happening. Silver Sable, I don't expect it. Jackpot, Craven the Hunter, Morbius is happening, and okay, maybe Spider Man three. The so they've announced they've been trying to make a lot of movies, and we're seeing two of them. Now, that to be 10. fair, like three of those. Yeah, those are
1: all for
3: like a lot of those were in the, the Sinister experiment. Six
2: era when yeah. they
3: were. It was still like but right only, around okay, amazing. But, Spider- but I think
2: Silver and to Black be and be and fair. Craven I'm not, not the saying you're wrong. I'm saying, that. Yeah, Craven the Hunter. Right. My point was just that they've promised a lot of movies along the way, and the plans keep shifting, so I think just because you they're spent shopping- a lot of time looking at up. Was it a was it, was it, was payoff, everything you were hoping? I was just waiting to get to it, I but I think the, my point is that they have these ideas, and just because they're developing a movie doesn't mean we're going to see it. So, Madam Web, maybe they just think it's an idea, and they're shopping around and trying to get people attached to see if the movie will work, and we may never see it if, if somebody's like, ah, eh, this might not work, yet, at least. Yeah. So that's Brandon Davis answering my question where I said I think he might be right, and in this movie he might not make it. So- I don't
3: I don't I don't have a ton of faith in this only because of the things we mentioned before of yeah. like this is very tricky. This is a weird character to build as a solo thing. Uh, I feel it would feel better if they had announced another movie and they went, Oh, Madam Webb's gonna be a part of it. Like, yeah, that opens some interesting opportunities. But right. as a solo, I don't have a ton of faith that this makes the jump. I think at some point it'll be like, Hey, we'll
1: we'll spin it a different way. But we'll see. Maybe they'll prove me around. I don't think they will. <laughs> Moving right along. This microphone Other strange people. news in comic book programming. Uh, we were so excited because Marvel TV was continuing uh, to build with a Hulu universe that was going to be kind of a supernatural theme, darker theme, side of the Marvel universe, uh, or the Marvel kind of cinematic or TV universe. Basically, we were getting a Ghost Rider series on Hulu uh, with Gabriel Luna's Robbie Reyes and a Hellstrom TV series on Hulu. Uh, with the Hellstrom siblings. Well, one of those is dead, no pun intended, and uh, it's Ghost Rider. The Ghost Rider series for Hulu has been canceled before it ever began. It seems like Gabriel Luna's future in the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe is kinda kaput. It looks like his Ghost Rider will just be an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. creation, uh, and we'll move on to something else. Now, this has led, of course, It is sad for people like myself who really wanted to see this particular version of a Ghost Rider TV series, but there might be a silver lining here, which uh, a lot of people instantly predicted as soon as they heard this news. Brandon Davis, would you like to tell people what the silver lining might be? For the fact that uh, Ghost Rider is probably
2: drafted by the MCU? That That is correct.
1: In your popular tweet, you said uh, that this is probably a sign that Ghost Rider is drafted to the MCU, and it seems like there could be some merit to that. After all... Uh Moon Knight. Yeah, we have Moon Knight coming up. We have Blade on the horizon. I mean, we have all the makings of a darker kind of supernatural themed corner of the Marvel Cinematic Universe proper taking shape. Um and it and it's not at all outside and we don't know this for sure yet, but it's not outside the the realm of possibility at all that yeah, they decided I want Ghost Rider. Yeah. And they're going to bring him back. I mean,
2: and also, I mean, I saw a lot of reactions that people were very upset about this. The people, I mean, I enjoy Gabriel Luna in the part as well. I haven't, mm-hmm. I'm not a, I haven't watched all of Agents of Shield, but what I did watch, I thought he was great. Um, but they said at Comic Con, they straight up said Doctor Strange and the Madness inter- in the Multiverse of Madness is going to be scary. And then Kevin Feige was quickly like, and it's going to be rated PG thirteen just so that people can stop <laughs> that conversation before it started. But I mean, maybe they're going to start diving into actually dark content. In proper MCU, because I know Netflix and Hulu have not. I mean, I guess they're. You could call them MCU, but I don't, because they're they're not really connected. We all know Marvel TV and Marvel Studios yeah. operate differently. The stories operate differently. They make nods to one. Well, TV makes nods to movies, really. That's movies don't really make nods to TV anymore. Uh, but I think that maybe with Disney Plus and all. I mean, we're getting how many Marvel titles per year if you include if you count movies and TV shows. They have to vary in tone. I think maybe they start making some actually dark stuff, especially on Disney Plus. Yeah. And if Ghost Rider comes to the MCU in in Disney Plus series or movie form, you have to you have to. They're making Blade. There's no way Blade is going to be a feel good
3: movie. Yeah, they're making Blade. They're making Moon Knight. Moon Knight kind of could be very like th- yeah. This it's just weird to me that I did not expect this one to be the one that fell through. I expected Hellstrom. Well, I mean...
1: <laughs> I thought uh, that yeah, would It I seems uh, yeah. like in the comics they've backed off the Robbie Reyes character and are going back towards, like, the 90s Dan Ketch, Johnny Blaze, that whole mythos. I mean, I mean... He's... He's an Avenger right now. Who? Robbie Reyes? Yeah. I've kept up. All I've read... I mean,
3: they've now... They have dipped... The comics have dipped into, like, Ketch is, like, part of a storyline right now. Uh, some of the other ghost writers are, but... They, they keep pushing him as, like, he's an Avenger. He is the Ghost Rider. And so that part is, like, it would make sense. He's the most, he's the easiest to translate for me. From Bobby a grounded, grounded material. Like, the MCU likes to take, like, a grounded yeah. approach to characters. Robbie is the easiest to translate. I
1: think if you're doing a movie, you don't have to pick and choose. I think they'll take on the whole thing. Oh, no, I'm just yeah. saying, like,
3: he's made oh, you want for a an MCU Ghost Rider
1: movie. But I think they'll take on the whole mythos and, and the demonic background yeah. to it all like yeah. that that'd be no pun again we're we're full of freaking puns yeah, no, today but going. uh it would be the perfect vehicle for like getting the demonic side to <sighs> into a more grounded combining the grounded mcu in like I just a, think a demonic brother, thing like,
3: i think uh, the the dynamic between him and his brother and the family element yeah. there it's just more it no, s- I served right up on an MCU I mean, planet. it was
1: created in the time where yeah. <laughs> knowledge of Marvel being mass media yeah. was there. And so, like, I agree. And I, that's why I wanted to see it. But uh, in the Latin culture stuff also, like, I wanted to see. I
3: mean, it's like Sam, when we talk about Sam Alexander all the time, right? Yeah. Like, that was made for an MCU yeah. thing.
2: Yeah, if the if character came out between, like, 2012 and 2016, yeah, it's I, like I'm pretty sure they were just made for movies.
3: I do find it funny that they they might have just killed Elstrom in the comics, but <laughs> as this like as the as Hulu was like, oh Jeff that one's Lope. that one's good, that one's good to go, and then Blade stabs him in a book this week. But Jeff you know, hey, must
2: just wake up every morning and be like, is this character still there, please? <laughs> yeah, they do kind of seem on life yeah. All right. Well, when we come back, we are going to deep dive into
1: our review of the new TV series, Stumptown, and we are gonna discuss Marvel's powers of X, number five, so be sure to stay tuned for that.
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt.
1: All right, so let's talk Stumptown. Uh, Stumptown was called one of the best new shows. It got some of the best critical reviews of the new season of shows, including comicbook.com going out and saying it's uh, the best new show of the
2: season. Well, then you know it's true.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. From the proud people of all our reviews and assertions about TV shows, comics, and movies. Um, That's right. But, uh, yeah, we all watched Stumptown. And just a quick overview, I mean, I know Matt really liked it because uh, I watched him watch it in real time <laughs> and I actually really liked it and I don't necessarily even like cop procedural shows. I, I'm so burned out on those and medical procedural shows. I, I kind of hate both of them mm. but I think what made Stump Town different for me is first and foremost the performance from Kobe Smalders, um, who is... So good when you're kind of Robin Sparkles, when you take it back to the Robin Sparkles, How I Met Your Mother. But she hasn't really gotten to like shine or be as personable in a lot of movie roles. Certainly not as Maria Hill in the yeah, MCU. So dry. Uh, very dry, drab character. But Stumptown really reminds you that Kobe Smulders has a lot of charisma. like, mm-hmm. and, is, and she's pitch perfect as a very kind of troubled person who uses sarcasm and humor uh, as a as a very effective cover for her deeper vulnerabilities and problems, um, and has some pretty funny action scenes in this. And the whole vibe of the show is just kind of offbeat in the right way. It feels... Uh, Stumptown is also... like I mean, if you don't know, it's a nickname for Portland, Oregon, and it feels very Portland and yeah. Portlandia-ish in the way in it is kind of hipster offbeatness, but laid up on top of a cop procedural's bones. And so there are a lot of funny things that you see in every show, but were uniquely kind of just distinct and funny here, like the opening sequence with her in a car chase thing with two guys. Um, yeah, that it all was good. And so I thought it was a really good pilot uh, and I'd be willing to tune in at least for, you know, the f- next few episodes just to see if it finds its rhythm. Uh, I would worry about it burning out if there isn't some kind of larger serialized... I never read the comic that is based on, so I don't know. Yeah. But uh, if there is not a larger serialized story to kind of pull you into some kind of intrigue uh, than when we got in the pilot. But uh, yeah, good entertaining show, good entertaining pilot. And Smolders Smulders it looks like she has found a good place to be.
3: Yeah, it has a... Uh, you know, I, I saw this a lot on Twitter, like you know people comparing it to Jessica Jones in a in a big way but like i mean that's and that's a compliment jessica jones is fantastic especially like the first, the first two seasons yeah. i think the first two seasons are really strong the third one i agree like that one kind of went off the rails but the first two I, I thought were really good but one of the things i always had a jessica jessica jones like is so and it's just the portrayal of the character is it's like so in your face with like her, like her personality is. There's no like. Um, there's not a lot of uh, spots to breathe for mm. the character. Like the character doesn't break that up. It's like when Jessica Jones is on screen. Like that's it, her personality is right here all the time. It doesn't really go down or up, and and that's right. great because you have a supporting cast that can balance that out. Here, you know, Smolders is a like. There's there's a lot of rounded edges to that character. So, like, even when she goes into some dark places or, like, has some memories about things in the past or deals with even some, like, heavy subjects, she has enough just natural charisma and, like, breaks in humor or a, a sarcastic comment at the right time that just takes a little bit of that edge off and lets that character breathe. Like, yeah, it's and just, almost,
2: like, just spots of humor in how yeah. like, she's a little bit silly. Yeah. like But, like, still, like... And Capable, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, One of my yeah. favorite
1: scenes in the show is like she's trying to get information uh, about a, from a, from a, about uh, a potential need from the phone <laughs> from a girl, and she's like asking her to contact something. And the girl like completely shuts her down, as being a hard ass. Like you're not a cop, I'm not helping you whatever so she leaves and drives off and so then as soon as she's gone the girl like whips out her phone and tries to contact the person she's looking for and she comes like running up from the yes, back of the house far. where she's like obviously spun around the block <laughs> and come running out of the car and just grabs the phone out of the girl's hand and it's just yeah. like yeah there you
3: yeah. go I just <laughs> like, love the blatantness of it too yeah. because she doesn't even try and be quiet like she's just booking it like yeah.
2: just hoping that the yeah. person and doesn't like and I then said, she steals the car later in the episode yes, yeah that's great
1: Kobe Smulders like really sells these moments yeah. like when she comes just running out grabbing the phone like aha like yeah and it has a like there's
3: a there's a vintage like Rockford vibe to yeah. the show, like the stuff in between. You know, the characters are, you know, yes, you go in the sequences and you're like, okay, I'm gonna meet the best friend or I'm gonna meet the, you know, the family part. But there's always like a little, like it, it's done very organically. It mm-hmm. those char- those interactions feel just just the right. Like it never goes into like sap or formulate territory. No. There's always just a little something different. I hope for Michael Ely that this is like a big yeah, because I love him in everything, and he's call. always in the show that dies like six, you know, six episodes, yeah. and it. Got, I hope this is it because he's yeah. great, and they have great chemistry
2: so far. So yeah, well, I really am happy this. to see Nick Miller on TV again. Yeah, Jake Johnson. Uh, yeah. I mean, he and
1: he holds down a lot of the most important parts because he has like the kind of ability to bring like wit and humor to heavy parts, mm-hmm. and so like this episode does have heavy parts when it's dealing with, Kobe uh, Smolder's characters, uh, kind of um pt her name's dex and her ptsd because she served in the military uh in the afghan war and what that's all about and him kind of keeping it real and keeping it grounded with her as her friend uh is very good and they do a good job of creating chemistry without the will they won't they romantic stuff which is blessedly gone except for one thing when he sees michael ely in the beginning and there's like this little man oh man kind of yeah "Eh." but other than that like yeah he watched the line of being like a good almost like brotherly mentor or confidant to her and uh and he keeps it funny while keeping it serious and the stuff so, with
3: her brother i thought yeah. was really good like there was, yeah those i really enjoyed
1: this like i and it, i even like the bit parts like me. the two crooks arguing about yes. coffee in the car like <laughs> such a portland type ding and like, the cassette
3: tape gag yeah. that runs throughout like
1: yeah her car's broken and her radio starts randomly and yeah. like starts playing this cassette and, and like, those yeah.
3: songs all just for whatever reason tie into the moment like i thought okay really that's gonna be a running
2: gag ironic tone for yeah,
3: it's great. So I enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, so Stumptown. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, score one for comic
1: book uh, adaptations. Uh, pretty good.
3: It made me want to go. I never read the book either. And it made me actually want to go back and like, oh, I might go yeah. read the book now. Greg yeah, Rocca.
1: Yeah. So, all right. So we got, that's good. We're off to an okay start with this TV season. We've done some things for American Horror Story, Stumptown. Hopefully it stays this good. Uh, you know, yeah. Also, South Park came back last night and it was also (laughs) hilarious with Mexican Joker. Man, oof, we did a thing about that it's up on the site now. But uh, let's move on from TV to comics. Marvel's Powers of X number five hit stands. And uh, we're coming to the end of this. It feels like just yesterday that we started this whole Jonathan Hickman X-Men reinvention event. But now we only got one issue left of each book, House of X and Powers of X. That's it. It makes me sad too. But then, I mean... To be fair, then we have a whole lot to do because we have a Se- bunch of new X Men. there's like six seven or six seven books. new X Men books coming Oof. that we'll be reading for the next year. But uh, while it's all contained right now, um, Powers of X, and I'm going to be out here and say, like Powers of X has it, it started out as my favorite book of the two, but it's quickly slid into the back of the pack. Um, I love House House of X both for the artwork, yeah, and just the more focused storyline it tells. But uh, Powers of X, as you know by now, functions to kind of reframe the events of House of X after each issue of House of X to give you an expanded view of why all these events are relevant, how they came about, and suggestions of where they could be going in the future. So, after House of X 5 showed us how the X-Men have invented this resurrection process, um, established Krakoa as a sovereign sovereign Mm world-like nation, Invite all the mutants, including the good, the bad, and everybody in between, to come live there. Uh, all those game-changing events. We get to see the background of how Xavier pulled this off with Magneto and other people in Powers of X Five, which is a lot of what this book is concerned of. Concerned with basically how he used Emma Frost and the Hellfire Club to basically kind of leverage the the flowers Krakoa produces yeah. for and the drugs made from it um, as leverage against the human population to give Krakoa their sovereignty as an independent mutant nation. Uh, All those geopolitics um, we get to see. We get to learn how Cerebro can copy a mutant mind and how Charles Xavier... Came up with this whole crazy process with Forge way back in the day. Uh, Forge gets to make an appearance. If, 70s Forge. If a like, character
3: yeah. could like speak from the book and go, thank you, you know, Forge is like, would just like send a personal gift basket. I've to Hickman. been
1: down here in limbo <laughs>
3: too long. No one knows how to use me. And you finally come along and like, same thing for Cypher and like, yeah. Gold Balls. Like, all these characters just like would adore,
1: I imagine, Hickman just come out. Because yeah, Forge has a great you got to imagine Forge is like Hickman's wet dream though. It's like, a, Oh yeah. Um, biological guy with unlimited knowledge of how to, you know, f- literally forge technology. That's like, that's like Hickman's hero. right and the, there. and
3: the knowing, like little, I love the stuff between Xavier and Forge, not only just for what Forge ends up doing, but also just like framing McCoy. Yeah. And, and like, beast, you know, and the
1: difference between beast and Forge yeah. and their levels of intellect and stuff. And then it's great. Yeah, it was great. Um, so then we get all that background, and it is all interesting background about, and we get to see Xavier putting out the telepathic call to all the mutants and the villains and saying, come live on Krakoa when we establish this thing, and them kind of considering it. And we get one great scene with Marvel's original mutant, because he makes sure to ask all the mutants. And so he went and appears telepathically to Namor, and Neighbor shuts him down in, like, one of my favorite scenes of this series. I love the, the, the little aside scenes are just so good in this yeah. series where they just kind of visit, and we have these little, like, more traditional comic book scenes with just yeah. random characters like Sabretooth in a courtroom yeah. on trial. Or Xavier meeting with Namor under the sea to kind of discuss him coming to Krakoa. And Namor's too arrogant, and he kind of breaks Xavier down, which is the best and kind of most telling thing, which he suggests that, like, Charles Xavier's full of bullshit, and all the, this kind of benevolent come-to-Krakoa, let's-all-be-one-people stuff is, is kind of a smokescreen, Namor yeah. suggests. And he kind of suggests that... He's probably the one person smart enough to see through it, not because he's has a high intellect, but because he's always been arrogant enough to never believe in human racism yeah. uh, towards mutants that they're lesser than humans or stuff. He's like, "What do I look like? The guy who's had trouble like having <laughs> yeah. confidence? Like, get out of here." He's like, and he says, "Get out of here, little man. And come back when you actually believe." So, it. what is the end game for these books? Like Ooh, what? We don't know like yet, what? but uh, like, what do you mean by end game? Like. Like where they can seeking? it go? Where do you think it can go? Well, this is—I mean—the only destination is to set up a beginning, really. So, right. Like it doesn't actually have to go anywhere; It just has to, like, just like a, a bunch new of story. It's—it's uh, it's yeah. like a
2: reboot for the X Men, but not a reboot.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Hickman yeah, has actually. been has been essentially going through and finding just about every unfinished, yeah. undeveloped idea, or stupid idea. Yeah. Like,
1: or ones that—it's basically like DC's rebirth was. Yes. DC's rebirth right. was taking okay. all of the past mythos. Putting it through like a strainer and saying, here's all the crap. We're going to strain out all the good stuff. And when we get it out, it's going to be a much tighter, like little fiber log here. And he's done that. And that's what he's done with X-Men. Like, yeah, Yeah. He's just taken everything, like all the weird deaths, all the dangling storylines, all the continuity mistakes. And he's figured out a way to say, either explain them or rearrange them into something more exciting for the future. Um, And so like, yeah, so the next two books are basically, uh, House of X will just be establishing the new setup of Krakoa. Here's Krakoa. It's an independent mutant nation, and all the mutants are now living here, but it's not as simple as it looks. Yeah, Things are going to, they're going to still be challenges, problems, things uh, in the kind of geopolitics of it, I'm sure, and just within the mutant community itself. So that'll be House of X. And then Powers of X, I suspect the last book, will show us a larger framing that ends in a cliffhanger that shows us, oh, there's more to this story that The that the X Men books are going to have to deal with, yeah. Um, some big threat, some big mission, some big
2: cliff, you know, big reveal. Uh, we'll get at the end. Who who can be a villain in the stories going forward? Xavier, you think you think they're going to flip it that way?
1: Um, I mean, it's hard to say because, well, there's so many villains already established. Right now, we have threats from the demon world that are Mm -hmm. lurking in the wings. There's a whole thing that we could get Inferno Part Two, like with the return of the Goblin Queen. Um, there's a threat we haven't even talked about, but there's a whole storyline in the future with the phalanx Mm -hmm. consuming now, you know.
3: The we got, we got too, like we, our plan worked. Yeah. And it worked too well. So in the future,
1: they were trying to find a way to (laughs) convert themselves from biological entities into, you know, because they've, yeah, because they've come as far as they can with technology. So they want to become, merge bio and technological in the form of the phalanx. And they thought they could somehow kind of cheat their way into like joining the Phalanx but retaining sentient, sentience or something. Yeah. Uh, phalanx is like, no. They're yeah. like, oh, by the way, we will let you join us. You made it. But what we didn't tell you is we're Brainiac, basically. Yeah, we are like, going to
3: absorb your yeah, entire we, planet and... We want the knowledge. <laughs> yeah.
1: And then we just destroy everything else. Yeah. And so now that's a big threat facing the future. Um, yeah, and what this all means, we, we have to see because... There are still so many questions that we don't have revealed. I made a list of ten things, and I think we've only gone through, like, six of them. There are four big ones, like, still Mm -hmm. lurking out there. Like, where's Moira during House of X? What the hell happened during her sixth timeline? When is this timeline in the future happening, and why are they trying to do this thing with the phalanx, and what's it going to mean for the present day? Like, all of these things are still unclear, but there are definitely things that could be set up as the conflict for the... X-Men books to come.
3: And you talk Mm -hmm. about a villain. I mean, I think one of the biggest villains that comes out of this most likely is Sinister because Sinister has, they have played, Hickman has laid that foundation numerous times. He's the one that is like, knows, has the greater idea of what's happening and has been actively plotting.
1: And playing everybody who thinks they're playing.
3: Yeah. And so I think that like, I mean, coming out of here, I think he will be one of the biggest cards in that area i also think just as we go on because when we come out of here the mutant like the mutant mutant kind will be the dominant species and i think you're still going to while they're all united under a yes we're all mutants type of thing you're still gonna have your different like ideologies of right.
2: like, what is the best way so like apocalypse to is it. just like yeah oh, we're chill now
1: no, I mean, there's a whole council that's coming yeah, right, up right. of Krakoa. And, uh, you know, there are some hints that we've seen. That's not going to last. Is, and yeah, there's going to be lots of different fights. Yeah. Yeah. Fights, betrayals, secret missions, things the X Men have done for years. <laughs>
3: and I think we're going to see a lot more political leanings in yeah. that case. Like, it's going to be more like, you know, something in the Senate or something in that, you know, the House of Representatives, right? Of this vying for control, who feels like they have the best intent and who has the best idea for how this state should run. I think we're going to see a lot more of that stuff other than the, oh, hey, juggernauts running down, uh, trying to rob a
1: bank. Basically, Marvel's going to try to figure out the 2020 election before uh, the Democratic (laughs) Party can, uh, you know, and so that's what we're working against. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, we'll have our Trump style orcas out there. Um, This book got me
3: super excited for, uh, I mean, one, I'm a giant Emma Frost fan. So, That whole thing of, like, bringing her in, what she wants, her role in this was super interesting to me. And, like, yeah, Hickman just gets her, right? Like, yeah. him and, and Scott Summers, too. But it made me so excited for Marauders because that is what, like, Marauders is just going to be really about. The Hellfire, the Hellfire, Hellfire Club. Yeah. Kitty Pride being a part of the Hellfire Club because they've been teasing, like, this red thing, right? Like, a puzzle piece on there, and it's red, and it's her with Lockheed. Like, that, her and Emma have always bashed because they've always had different ideas and then once you throw sebastian shaw in there and all the stuff of like how they maintain because them teaching
1: school trying to teach school to oh.
3: used to be hilarious oh yeah that was great Shadow so Cat i can't yeah. that has shot because of this issue primarily that has shot
1: to like one yeah of the that's gonna be months. really intriguing like what sebastian shaw's plotting like all three of them plotting again like working together but plotting <laughs> against each other yeah. is gonna be great um just the kitty pride pairing with Emma Frost is going to be great. The Emma Frost history with Sebastian Shaw is going to be great. There's so many cool And I feel like they're going to do a cool reinvention of Sebastian Shaw. Um, That's going to be cool. Uh, Yeah, in the future, I'm excited to see, because Orcus is still around. Mm -hmm. Mother Mold is still a threat. Just because they knocked it out once doesn't mean it's never going to be built. In fact, the book says it will be built. Uh, You just hope it's built under better circumstances or different circumstances. So, yeah, the threat of Orcus, Nimrod, Mother Mold, all the Sentinels, all that stuff is still on the table. There's still a possible war in the future that we could see. Um, Sinister and the breeding experiments, we might still see Chimera, things like that. Um, yeah, all of that could be there. And if Sinister had any kind of knowledge brought to him about what he did on yeah. Mars in the future in that timeline, like, yeah, then I would love to see characters like Rasputin, you know, emerge in present day. Yeah. Like, as these Chimeras that they've been developing. So... Yeah, um, from the covers we've seen as solicits, there's a lot of exciting things coming down the pike. Stuff that just has us already scratching our heads, like what, like, and so. Yeah. I think this is going to be a good relaunch, and I, like we said before, I think this will go down as one of the uh, milestone X Men storylines, uh, just for what they've done. So, yeah, man, we're coming to the end. If you got, I mean, if you're still listening to this right now and you haven't read these things, go out and start getting these books. Oh, absolutely. Question, just a
3: quick question because i'm curious uh better than new x-men or no like do you need to see it stick the landing first
1: yeah okay. I, I, I yeah let me see it stick the landing don't let me don't let me uh talk to you it always game of thrones it like right now because i new um, x-men i mean got really crazy i mean yeah like, i have that hard back volume of new x-men and the battle with cassandra nova new x-men was just so weird yeah and it was like refreshing
3: because it was weird um and Morrison's done that, yeah. with, like Green Lanterns. But like the all the way. things
1: with like Beak and that Shit. whole class, <laughs> No Girl and and the fart guy or the gas guy, yeah. like all of that stuff the was fart. quirky, fun. But it was it was like us in the twentieth 20 when the twenty first century started, trying yeah. to be futuristic and quirky and cool for future's sake. Yeah. And it wasn't just X Men. New X Men is guilty of that. It's everything in culture. Yeah. But um, this is actually like more of of just independently good creative story not like shaped by the times not like yeah let's take the x-men out of costumes and put them all in leather jackets yeah. and stuff like in these new weird like costumes. unless like, the
3: ending just yeah. completely like just S- this is bed. yeah this is like a that's sur- this surpasses that for me yeah. like you know just in a sheer I mean, like for the same reasons because i just like it as a story on its own it's a great story, and then when you factor in all the things it does for them and going forward, and all the things it lays out, yeah. it's not even. A it's clip. a
1: much better setup than yeah. uh, New X Men left us with, and yeah, uh, and like yeah, Morrison just likes to kind of shake things up for the sake of it. Yeah, uh, Hickman I think is a more focused, planned shakeup. and yeah, I mean this is my favorite kind of X Men crossover alt universe. Even though it's technically not alt-universe, you know what I mean, with the lives of Moira and all that stuff, the timelines, since Age of Apocalypse, probably.
3: Age of Apocalypse is still my favorite.
1: Yeah, still my favorite by far.
3: But it's, Uh, yeah, yeah, this is right
1: Quest and and Legion Quest and Age of Apocalypse are my two favorite X-Men, or my, well, taking them all as one is my favorite X-Men crossover storyline of all time. Um, But this is a good second. All right. Yeah, Yeah. So that'll do it. We want to thank you guys for joining us on this episode of Comic Book Nation. If you are new to the show, we post new episodes every Wednesday and Friday on comicbook.com, where you can subscribe to our RSS feed to get regular updates about the show, or you can subscribe on iTunes, uh, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Google Playlists, or tell any Amazon Alexa device to fire up Comic Book Nation podcast, and it will start playing for you. If you want to continue the discussion with us about anything we talked about, or just you know, holler at us. Hit us up at the hashtag Common Book Nation, or you can find us individually. You can find me at Kofi Outlaw. You can find me at Matt
2: Aguilar CB, and you can find me at Brandon Davis BD. It's good to have you back, buddy.
0: <laughs>
2: Much love. Peace and love.